All right, if you got a Bible, go ahead, open it up to uh, John chapter 5. John 5, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 29 today. Uh, we are spending really the most uh, portion of this year looking together at the gospel according to John. And really, as, as we study this entire book, there's pretty much one question that we are asking, and that's simply this. What does this show us about Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? What does he do? And why does he matter? And the passage we're going to look at today, I think, gives us a, uh, just like every other passage that we've been looking at, really a paradigm-shifting presentation of Jesus Christ. And so starting in verse 16, follow with me as I read from John 5. Jesus has just healed a man who was unable to walk on the Sabbath. And the Apostle John writes this, So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus gives them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what, his father, what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will even show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And as he has given him authority to judge, because he is the Son of Man. And Jesus said, do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. 
Um, when I was uh, in college one night, uh, some of my friends and I were playing pickup basketball, and uh, a couple guys came over wanted to hop into our game. And so as we're getting ready, uh, just making small talk, and uh, one of them asks me, you know, where are you from? And I say, well, I'm from Syracuse in New York. Uh, the college I went to was 30 minutes away from there. And he said, oh, well, that, that's, that's awesome. My cousin actually used to play basketball at Syracuse University. And I thought, wow, well, who's your cousin? And he said, Jerry McNamara. Now, if you don't know college hoops, um, Jerry McNamara played at SU when I was in high school. He is a Syracuse legend. Like, there's sandwiches up in Syracuse named after this guy. All-time three-point scorer, led us to our one and only national championship when he was a freshman. And so I, I'm, I, I'm a little impressed. I'm like, wow, you are G, your cousins with GMAC. I don't, I'm a fan. What? What, what is he like? And he gives me the generic, like, oh, he's kind of a nice guy. And, but then he says this. He says, but, but when we're together at, like, family gatherings and stuff, we'll play pickup, like the whole family. And he says, I'll shoot threes over Jerry. And it gets him so mad. Now, I'm looking at this guy who is eight inches, maybe, shorter than me. Uh, not in his athletic prime. Uh, wearing these kind of old, like, beat-up running shoes. And I'm thinking, really? You, you are trying to tell me that at Thanksgiving last year, you were just, you were hitting threes over Jerry McNamara. I don't think I'm buying this for a second. Now, uh, I was a halfway decent athlete in college. Basketball was not one of the things I was very good at. And so as we're kind of divvying up who we're going to guard, I'm looking at his friend who is much taller than him. We're warming up, and I'm like, this guy clearly knows what he's doing. He plays basketball, and he's very good at it. So I do not want to be guarding him. I'm going to take my chances with GMAC's cousin over here because I am not buying for a second this claim that at Grandma's birthday last year, he's just hitting threes over a Division I All-American. So we start playing, and uh, he gets the ball. First shot, hits three right over my head. I'm like, that's lucky. Everybody gets one lucky one. <laughs> Next shot hits a three right over my head. Third shot, hits a three. Fourth shot, hits a three. Now he's in my head. Now I have no excuse for what is going on. He is suddenly, literally running laps around me, and I spend hours, what felt like an eternity that night, getting embarrassed because I didn't take his claim seriously. Jesus in this story isn't just making a claim that's a little hard to believe. He is making one that is downright scandalous. In fact, so scandalous that the religious leaders try to kill him for it. What's he claiming? Well, John tells us in verse 18, Jesus is claiming that he is the Son of God equal with the Father himself. Now, you've, you've got to understand for a little bit of sympathy here for these religious leaders, what Jesus was saying in that time for Jewish people was completely unspeakable. I mean, think about it. What is, what is the one thing that separated Israel from all the other nations around them in the Old Testament? It was that they believed this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. We have one God, Jesus, now here, you, a man, are telling us you yourself are also God. It was completely unspeakable to them. 
In the scope of world religions, uh, it's completely unheard of. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, uh, you know, all made great claims, and none of them had the audacity for a second to say that they were God. To our modern minds today, it seems completely unenlightened. We think, you know, yeah, 2,000 years ago, saying that, you know, you're the Son of God, you're equal to the Father, that may have drawn a crowd, but we are smarter than that today. We've advanced, we know that that is just the talk of crazy cult leaders off in the woods somewhere. And in many Christians today, what Jesus is claiming in this passage seems relatively unconnected from our lives. I mean, you may be sitting here thinking, no, I, I believe what Jesus is claiming here. I, I believe he's God's son. I believe he is one equal with the Father, but it's, it, it feels all a little abstract. You don't really see how that is changing your circumstances in life. But when we see why, why Jesus is saying this, it makes this passage indispensable for your life right now. Here, right, for it, here's the whole point, whole point of this theological discussion that Jesus goes on with these uh, religious teachers, leaders of the day. Life. Life. It's dotted all over the passage. Eight times. Life, true life, good life, eternal life. Jesus is saying, if I am the Son of God, if I am equal with the Father, then that means three things. I have life, I give life, and I determine life. So three things that we're going to look at in this passage this morning. First, Jesus has life. Here's the context again that we looked at a little bit last week. Uh, Jesus, in unbelievable compassion, has just moved toward and pursued a social outcast, a man who was lame, who was unable to walk, who in that day would have been uh, relegated to, to begging. And in a show of divine power heals him and tells him, pick up your mat and go home. And this sparks a storm of controversy. Uh, because Jesus is using this sign of, of healing this lame man to ultimately reveal the greater truth of who he is. As John says in verse 18, that he is God's son, equal himself to the Father. And now this, uh, this doesn't go over very well with the religious leaders there. Bit of an understatement. Uh, they try to kill him. Because as far as they're concerned right now, Jesus is speaking complete, utter blasphemy. You know, it, it, it's not written here, but you can almost infer into what they're saying a little bit this question. Who, who do you... Who do you think you are, Jesus, carpenter man from Nazareth, claiming that you're God? And so in verse 19, Jesus gives them this reply. He replies to this question and defends his equality with God in two ways. First, Jesus says, 
I must be equal with God because of my obedience, my deference to the Father. He says in verse 19, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus, in other words, his equality with God doesn't make him uh, independent from God, as if now Jesus is saying, okay, there's now two gods in the universe, and we kind of go off and we do our own separate thing. No, Jesus is saying, my equality with the Father is dependent on my complete submission, obedience, deference to whatever the Father wills. And second, Jesus says, I must be equal with the Father because of my unity with the Father. He says in verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, he will even show him greater works than these so that you will be amazed. In other words, the Father and the Son, Jesus are saying, we are of the same mind, with the same love for one another, existing in this perfect unity where the Father loves Jesus and shows him his will, and Jesus loves the Father and obeys his will. Meaning, Jesus, this is true, has to be equal with God. Because think about this, what, what other person could conceivably know all the Father knows and obey all the Father wills unless that person was God themselves? And so what is the point of all this, though? Why is Jesus kind of just going off on this expanded theological diatribe here? Life. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he's pleased to give it. Life. Well, this is all coming down to for Jesus. In the Old Testament, the only person who could raise the dead, the only person who had life in and of themselves, was the Creator. And Jesus is saying here, I am the Creator, myself. Meaning, I have life. Now, Life, that word in John's gospel, uh, is shorthand for eternal life. Now, when you hear that word eternal life, what you probably think of is uh, the duration of life, eternal life, life that just goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and never stops. Um, but actually, when John uses that phrase eternal life, he's talking more about the quality of that life than the duration of it. Uh, the Jews, uh, at this time that it was written, understood from the Old Testament, rightly, that, that at the end of time, there would be this great resurrection of all of God's people, and with it would come the fulfillment of all of God's promises to us, when we will be transformed into bodies of complete spiritual and physical glory, when sinful people will live unashamed before the presence of God in complete joy, when we will spend all of eternity on a renewed earth where there will be no more sin, no more evil, no more pain, just one giant loud party 
of the redeeming grace of God. This, this resurrection age, this future resurrection life, let me tell you, it, it, won't, it won't even register on any sort of standard of living index that you could possibly think of. There will be nothing like this. And Jesus is saying, this life, this eternal life, this resurrection quality of life, I have. Now, uh, Jesus is not the only person uh, claiming to have life. Anywhere you look, there there are people and there are things who are trying to define what true life, what the good life, the quality of life that you should want looks like and that they're the ones who have it. Go to Amazon. Life is consumption. Uh, You know, what will really make you flourish, this is what Amazon's telling you every time, what will really make you flourish, what will really make you feel alive, is more. Before the pandemic happened, uh, you know, we were all about simplicity, Marie Kondo, you know, I own three shirts and I don't even own a coffee cup, I just borrow my neighbors every morning. And then the pandemic happened and we were stuck inside for six months and we decided it's a little sparse in here. If I'm going to be in here all day, every day, I need some more stuff. Hello Amazon, one-click buying. Life is consumption. If you go to a grocery store, they'll tell you life is choice. There, there's this, uh, this brilliant scene in the uh, miniseries, The Looming Tower. It's based off a novel about the events that led up to 9-11. And there's this scene where the 9-11 hijackers, these Arab men, uh, go to an American grocery store for the first time. And they are standing there, speechless, in the cereal aisle, at the wall of choices. Life, that's what it is, right? The freedom to choose. Only not just the freedom to choose what type of Cheerio we want, but what we do with our bodies, how we spend our money, choice. If you go to 24-hour news, they'll tell you life is your political party in power. If you go to moralistic Christianity, they will tell you life is keeping the rules. What the good life is, isn't in trusting the Father's loving self-disclosure of himself in Jesus Christ and basing your daily, hourly relationship on God through what his Son has done for you. No, life, the good life, is through trusting in yourself and how good you can keep all the rules. Look everywhere you want. You will never find Anything like the quality of life that John is describing here. This future resurrection life that, yes, not only goes on forever, but will be better than anything we ever could have imagined. This resurrection quality life, Jesus is saying he has because he himself is equal with the creator. That is, he says in verse 26, for the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And so if you want this life, this quality of life, this good life, this true life, this resurrection life that Jesus has, as verse 23 says, 
honor him, worship him, value him, center your life on him. First, Jesus has life. Second, Jesus gives life. As a result of the equality Jesus has with the Father, he now has an authority from the Father that stretches over the future and the present. Uh, Jesus says in verse 25, Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear it will live. Now, Jesus in this verse has his eye on two different uh, times. First, he's referring to that future time, that future age, when all God's people will be resurrected, when we will be transformed into these bodies of spiritual, physical beauty and spend eternity in the joy-producing presence of God. But then... He says, this time in the future has come now. This quality of life that you, through faith in Christ, will enjoy in the resurrected age can be had now, Jesus is saying, because he has an authority to bring the future into the present an authority to let us experience the end-time resurrection life today. Now, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that, we will, that we will get to experience all of what we have coming for us in this new resurrection future life for us. Our, our bodies still die. Our hearts still sin. But what Jesus is saying is, I have come to give today a real experience of the future resurrection life of God's people. And here's what it consists of. Verse 24, you have crossed over from death to life. Separated from God, we are all under the power of sin. But it doesn't always uh, seem like we are. See, here's the big lie of sin. Sin's big lie is this. Sin will give you a better quality of life than Jesus can. Sin says your bitterness, your envy, your self-righteousness, your people-pleasing, your lust, your anger, your refusal to forgive, stay in that. Soak it all in, because that's going to give you a better quality of life than following Jesus. But in reality, we all become like Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense. What was his problem? He was dead, and he didn't even know it. Sin gives us the lie that it can give us a better quality of life than following Jesus. But in reality... We are dead. We are decaying physically, spiritually from the inside out. And Jesus, in a sense, is coming to us here in this passage and asking now a second time to us the question he asked to the man who couldn't walk. Do you want to get well? He 
Sin brings death. And the ultimate act of God on our sin is condemnation. Is at the end of life, standing before God and being judged guilty and given over to final death. And what Jesus is saying here is that end of time verdict, the end of time verdict where you are not condemned but actually acquitted in God's presence. Jesus is saying, you don't have to wait till the end of life to hear that. I can pronounce it over you now. That as he says in verse 24, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. In other words, the essence of this resurrection life, of true life, of good life, is freedom from the condemnation of our sin, is a restored relationship with God, is knowing now that through faith in Jesus Christ, in the end, you will be raised, stand before the all-knowing God who will look at you, love you, and say, not guilty, because I found my son guilty in your place. It's this freedom from condemnation, Jesus is saying, will not only secure your future life, but will create in you what will be your present life. Think of what changes. Think of how alive you would feel if right now you truly believed with everything in you. Through faith in Jesus Christ, I have done incredibly terrible things in my life, and there is no condemnation for me now. If that's not life, I don't know what is. And Jesus is saying here, he is giving this life. And here's the thing. We talk about, you know, Jesus, he came and we want to keep it, you know, to the end. So this is just a mere foretaste of it. Uh, No, Jesus is saying here, I am offering not just a mere foretaste. I am offering something of the real substance of this future resurrection life. When you have crossed over from death to life. When you have crossed over from condemnation to no condemnation, not now, not ever, I have come to give this life, as he puts it later, abundantly. So church, take it in. Cheers. It's here. And so how does he give it? Verse 24, whoever hears my word. you want this life, this good life, this true life, this resurrection life that Jesus is giving, then hear his word. Open your Bible and know every time you read it by yourself at home, every time you study it with a friend, every time it's preached on Sunday, it is actually the ascended Jesus Christ in heaven, speaking through God's word, by his spirit, allowing us, allowing you and me today to actually hear his word better than the people in this story who are standing right next to him. Jesus has life. He gives life last. He determines life. Out of Jesus' equality with God, comes not just an authority from God, but lastly, a judgment for God. A judgment over life and death. 
Jesus says, don't be amazed at this, at everything he's just said. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear my voice and come out. And those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Uh, There's two things that are particularly hard in this verse. The first of those is actually kind of easy to reconcile. Jesus says, those who have done good at the end of time will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. And it sounds like what Jesus is saying is maybe the sneaking suspicion that some of us had all along. That at the end of time, it will be like this. We will stand before Jesus and he will pull out his rusty old set of scales and weigh on one side all the good we've done and on the other side all the bad we've done balance it all out, and determine from there where we will spend the rest of our eternity. But what Jesus is saying here actually doesn't have anything to do with what we do in this life, but with what we believe in this life. Doing good, as he says here in John's gospel, is connected with faith. In John 6, that we'll look at in a couple weeks, Jesus says, this is the work of God, the good work of God, to believe in the one whom he has sent. Meaning, to do good means to believe, to trust in God's revelation of his love in his son Jesus Christ. And to do evil means to reject God's revelation of his grace and love in Jesus Christ. In other words, meaning this, just like Jesus has brought the experience of that end time resurrection life into the now, into today, he has also brought the judgment, the determination of that future end time resurrection life into your life right now. That in the end, it won't be some We won't stand before God for this great final exam, but actually it will merely be a declaration of who we have put our trust in in this life. And that means two things. First, the way that we get this resurrection life that we all want is by grace. Is by coming to God with the empty hands of faith. That says, I have nothing in and of myself that could ever make me deserve the quality of life that you are offering through the resurrection. My only hope is Jesus, because on my own I will always choose sin, I will always choose death. And so instead, Father, give me this life because I have trusted in what your Son has done for me. The way we get this life is through grace. And when you do that, when you come to the Father with the empty hands of faith, Christian, you can have complete confidence in this life that you will be resurrected with Christ in the next life. So that's the first difficulty. The second uh, thing that's a little harder in these verses uh, is a little bit uh, more tricky. 
what is this whole bit about judgment, condemnation, hell? I thought God was a God of love. In fact, in America, in, in, in Western American culture, th- this is a huge hang-up for many of us. We don't, we, we, we don't like the idea of a God who judges. We like the idea of a God who's loving, who's merciful, who's gracious, who's accepting. And we should, because that's how the Bible describes God. In fact, the, the Bible doesn't even say God is is loving. The Bible says God is love. God is the definition of what love is. You know, if if you ever hear a Christian describe to you God and it doesn't ultimately end on his love, then they haven't described to you the God of the Bible. We like the idea of a God who's full of love, who's full of mercy, of acceptance, but we, we, we bristle. We don't like the idea of a God who also judges. Let me ask you this. What would be the value of any love that doesn't also protect what it loves? You see, any love that never acts on behalf of what it loves when what what it loves is in real danger, is experiencing real harm, wouldn't be a safe love. It would be a fairly weak, sentimental love that wouldn't be worth a second of your time. You know, we say we want a God of love, and Jesus is love. Perhaps more love than you can handle. Because his judgment, far from being the opposite of his love, is actually the expression of his love. When Jesus sees his world and his people, who he loves, harmed by sin, he is so full of love for them that he acts. He judges the sin and evil, harming what he loves. A God who doesn't have that type of love would not be worth a second of your time. That's not the best reason to believe this verse. The best reason is this, because Jesus Christ himself has endured that judgment. You see, you can't have the love of God without the judgment of God also. You can't have a God who gives life without also having a God who determines life. But you'll never find a God who then endures that judgment himself. And yet on the cross, God's Son, in the greatest moment of unity and obedience of His Father's will and His Son obeying it, is crucified. The Creator Himself dying for our sins, for our pursuit of life in everything else than God. Now, how how gracious do you think that is? You see, there are plenty of religions that will have a God who judges. None of them for a second would, have, would dare hang that God himself on a cross. 
And yet in Jesus Christ, we see that on the cross, the God of life gave up his life so that we who are dead in our sins could have his life. This is the good news. Jesus has life, he gives life, and he determines life. So honor him, hear him, and believe him. And when you do, you will experience in part now the resurrection life we will have in full in the end. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son equal with you, having all life in himself to make this resurrection life, this quality of life that we never dreamed possible, this quality of life that we were made and created to experience, to make it available through your grace. Spirit, enable us now to honor him, to hear Jesus, to believe him, and enjoy new life in him. Amen.